0: body language. I reward her. Some people call it bribing, but okay. Uh, I reward her every time that she says thank you or you're welcome or these type of nice words because I want them to uh, do well in society and bring goodwill and liking and these type of things instead of the often and commonly just whatever attitude. And so then she keeps track. And and when she says, thank you, I point her. I heard it. I heard it. Okay. That is three, Opa. That's three. Okay. Then after a period of time and she has 30 or 35, then I give her a little something uh, as a reward. I come to realize that re- rewards work really well with children. And rewards work really well with adults. So um, um, So, I want to talk about different things with with my people. Uh, often we need to be reminded about a husband and wife uh, scenario. Often we need to be reminded of, say, forgiveness. Often we need to be reminded of abiding in God. We need to be reminded of our quiet time. But if you can do that only Once in a while, you know, a year later, we talk about that again. If we're lucky, if if perchance it works out like that. So I don't want it that way. I want to be able to visit with you more often about different things so I can remind you often. And from experience, having coached for a long time and having taught for a long time, that uh, you need to remind people often. Is that your experience? Or am I just strange? Okay, thank you, thank you. I, I, I like that you agree with me there. Um, so the first thing that we're going to talk about today is has to do with John 15, verses 1 through 8. And I just want to point out a couple of things in there for you. I'm going to make myself a note over here. Uh, Are you there? John 15 verses 1 through 8. Uh, It's a very familiar passage, but I just want to, so often in American Christianity, uh, we, we talk almost too much about man's responsibility. As if man on his own could live the Christ life. It's impossible. Amen. It is only through Christ himself that you can live the Christ life. And so it is always presumed that when we're talking about the Christ life and may, maybe give it a different name, it is always presumed that it is through Christ that you can do these things. Without him, you cannot do anything. And that will show up in here in, in the 15th chapter of, of the Gospel of John. Uh, but I would just want to point out a couple of things. So let's read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll, then we'll talk. So I am, uh, 15, 1. I am divine, and my father is the wine dresser. So, the vine dresser. So what, what do we gather over here? What two characters are in the story here? Huh? Say it again. Okay, okay, so I, so that's Jesus speaking over there. Jesus, I'm the true vine, and my father, he's talking about his father, our father, he's the vine dresser. So he is the farmer, right? We have two of the people, of of the characters in this story, the farmer and the vine, okay? The true vine. And then the next verse goes like, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And I'm not going to teach about the on the whole thing. I just want to point out a couple of things. Otherwise, it'd be a whole sermon. Uh, every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So is there other characters that are entering here? Okay. Branches. Yes? Branches. And another character, fruit. Okay. So these are the four characters that we have throughout the whole idea of these verses is that we have the farmer, which is the father. We have the true vine, which is Jesus Christ. And then we have the branches, which is us. And then you have the fruit. The stuff that is produced through us, but not by us. Let's look at it. So now, we'll read through it first and then we'll, we'll come back. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it's a bite in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Here it is. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Unless we abide in Christ, there is nothing of any eternal consequence that we can ever do. Uh, Let alone fruit that that God wants us to bear. And he says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me, he can do nothing. And then you have different levels of fruit. No fruit, fruit, much fruit, and, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, but he says to again here. And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask. So sometimes this verse is misrepresented because they say uh, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. No, the condition is if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right. Amen. So otherwise we, we, we just go crazy and we just think we can just ask for anything. Put in the slot machine, poof, and, 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 and there it comes. At least there's a maybe a good chance it comes. You know. Uh, but if, you're, if his words don't abide in you, you're asking for the wrong stuff. Amen. Amen. And then expecting that a loving father will give you stuff that is bad for you. That has happened in the history of the scriptures only a few times. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And it shall be done unto because you abide in me and my words abide in you. You will ask the right stuff. I will ask, Lord, give me more love for my wife. Does the Father want to give me more love for my wife? Of course. That's right down his alley. Right down his will. Because those words are abiding in me, I can ask and, and God will fulfill that desire to love my wife more. So, and verse 8 says this, But this, by this, this, my father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So this is part of the proof, this is part of the demonstration that you are his disciple, if your life brings forth much fruit. And if your life is going to bring forth much fruit, it must abide in the vine. So let's talk about the farmer, the true vine, the branches, and the fruit. Of these four entities in the story, which one is responsible for the fruit? Huh? Okay. Say again. The true vine. The husband. The farmer. Have you ever seen a vine drive a combine? The farmer drives the combine. The farmer is the one that's responsible to plant the seed, to fertilize, to water, and so on, so that he can get a crop. He can get fruit. He is the one responsible. And of course, in this scenario, he uses the, the true vine to work through, as he always does. He always, the father, always works through the sun, and so that we as the branches might bring forth fruit. We are not responsible for the fruit. If you read these eight verses, what would you conclude that you are responsible for? Mary Mary said, Nice and loud, Mary. Say it nice and loud. She can't hear me that well. To abide. abide. And for his words to abide in me. That is what we're responsible for. And when we abide in him and his words abide in me, everything is hunky-dory. Because when his words abide in me, I'm strictly looking to do the things that he wants me to do in the first place. And he's more than willing to do that. But if I cut myself, if I'm not walking with the vine and I'm going things on my own, he's not into that. He's not in me building my own kingdom. He He is in his own kingdom and nobody else's kingdom. So when I do the things on my own, then I get the results that come with doing the things on your own, which is the fleshly business. You don't want that. So, now, in just a little while, we're going to talk about the next thing, husband and wife. But, you know, Allison, I don't know if you said it on purpose, or you saw my notes or whatever, but um, um, she said, husband, uh, a farmer is often called a husband. You know that? If you look at your dictionary, and you're looking for husband, you see the word farmer in there. So, So, I'm going to switch to the husband and wife relationship. So, in this scenario that we just saw, the farmer is responsible for the well-being of what he's planting, for the the fruit to come, and, and so on and so forth. So, when it comes to the farmer in the home, the husband, it is... His responsibility to cultivate such a flower in his garden that he can extract from there the most beautiful flower as he cares for his wife. My dear brothers and sisters, this morning we talked about about the kingdom of God in Sunday school. And as I've said before and as, as I said then, you know, the kingdom of God is in me right? When you're saved, the kingdom of God is in you. Is the kingdom of God in you? That means she's saved. That's a definite yes. Okay, so, but although the kingdom of God is in her and in me, in its full potential, it is not in us quite in its full full development yet. Are you with me? Yes? Yes? yes. yes. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> because the kingdom of God has to do with the rulership of Jesus Christ. Yes? So, me as her brother in Christ, or me and Sybil, where is Sybil? Is she here? or oh, she's upstairs. Okay? Me and Sybil. Me and my brothers. Me and my sisters. What is my job, which is a privilege, is that God wants me to expand His kingdom in Sherry, And God wants Sherry. To help expand the kingdom of God in me so that Jesus will have a greater rulership in my life than he already has. Because he doesn't come with a bulldozer. He comes with what I give him to rule over. And hopefully that becomes more and more so till ultimately he completely rules my life. But it is my job to inspire my sister, to encourage my sister, to teach my sister, to walk in such a way as to expand the kingdom of God in her. For me to expand the kingdom of God in her, I must use the kingdom of, the kingdom of, of, of God's weapons. The kingdom of God's means. If I'm going to help develop the kingdom of God in Sharia. If I'm using the kingdom of darkness methods and means, that is not the kingdom of God. What I develop in her is that ugly list in Galatians, the fifth chapter. And that doesn't look anything like the kingdom of God. So when it comes to me and Sybil, I see Sybil as my wife, God has given me the job to help develop the kingdom of God in her so that Jesus will rule more of her life than he did before. And over time, this will be true. And she does the same thing for me. Are we we on the same page? Okay. So now, that was not really part of what I wanted to talk about. But... (laughs) <laughs> but what I wanted to talk about was this. Husbands. When was the last time that you wrote a nice note to the wife? Now oh, you don't have to answer it. When was the last time? And do you know that it means a ton to her? Yeah. A ton. I know because the last two notes that I have written to her, one is on the microwave, glued. I had put it in the microwave to hide it. You know, that's one of the times where you try to hide something so it can be found. Sometimes you hide things so it cannot be found. But in in this scenario, you hide things so it can be found. So I put it in the microwave. Of course it's going to be found by her. She goes in the microwave several times a day. And... Uh, I forgot where I pla- where I, I, I hid the other one, probably in her car or something like that, and then that one is on the behind the little magnet on the refrigerator. That's the other one. So, I surmise, I conclude that it means something to her that I wrote her a love note. What do you think? think so. Okay, 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 all right. You don't want to say it too loud, husbands, because that means you, you feel like you're committing yourself to write a note to your wife. No, you don't. You know, that's up to you. That's up to you. But I recommend that you do that often. As often as you think of it. But you don't always have to write a note, though it is nice because she can save it. Right? If you say it, it's also very nice. But she has a hard time saving that. And she has a hard time showing it off for somebody else to see look what my husband did okay i i didn't get too much enthusiasm from you over there but it's okay it's okay this is the type of thing i'm telling i'm talking about that makes things exciting in the kingdom of god the way we the way we treat our wives, the way we treat our children, the way we treat our sisters, right? If I ever talk to Cherie or any other sister, Sally, Anna, Ranette, anybody, in a, an unchristian way, somebody slapped me across my face or something. No, don't do that. That's the worldly, worldly way of doing things. But I even give him permission to do it. It is unacceptable. Hey, I got my voice back a little bit. It is unacceptable to address a sister or a brother in an unchristlike manner. The sister for whom Christ died and gave his blood, I cannot address her any way that I want to. I must address it the way God wants me to. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Now then, We'll take a look at Psalm 126. Just look at a few verses there. So these, these are not related. Husband and wife is separate. Uh, John 15 was separate. And this is separate. Psalm 126. Psalm 26 speaks of this how things used to be. And how they pray, things will be again. And when I say pray, it is not like they are just um, wishful thinking. It is not that. They fully are expecting God to do it. So with that in mind, let's, let's read through it and, and I make a couple of comments, then we, then we move along. I have to look at my time a lot today because we have still a couple of other things to do when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion we were like those who dream so they were brought back and they 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 got dreams again they were dreaming again of the things from the past that God is going to do for them again now have you ever been there yes that you find yourself, oh, it used to be this way. In churches, it happens all the time. It used to be this way, and now it is this way. And then they get maybe a new preacher, or they get a... <laughs> I'm not advising that you're a new preacher over here, but uh, uh, things are, have gone sour, and they get a new preacher or whatever. Then they dream again that the church will be restored and be vibrant again. Vibrant, I don't mean there'll be 500 people there. Vibrant, I mean there is love and joy And peace and contentment in the the fellowship. Uh, So they started dreaming again. Not wishful thinking. Fully expecting that the Lord would come through for them. Ah, the dreams. Have you had dreams like that? No? Okay, but two of you said huh. I dream like that all the time. All the time. All the time. Verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. It was then, but we're hoping now when we are restored, our mouth will be filled with laughter again. And our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has gone, done great things for them. That's when they said then. And that's what I hope that they will say now again. Verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Does this sound, sounds like a happy bunch? Yes. Uh, God is going to do some great things for them, and they fully are expecting it. What a place to live. Uh, I know some people that they cannot imagine that God would do great things for them again. I told you, well, I won't tell you about it. Sometimes, as a pastor, you do a wedding. And you do a wedding and the two people were completely broken. Thinking that God could never use them again in ministry. Their heart full Of the desire to minister to other people. The love of Jesus. They made some mistakes. And they didn't think that they could survive it in this way. They were going to survive it in the fact that they were going to breathe and they live still. But they were not surviving it in the sense that they were going to be able to minister again to other people. They said that was over. They thought that this is no way. Broken. Since this was their desire... If it was not their desire, they might not have been as broken. But this was their desire. Felt broken. And then God started repairing them. And what a beautiful wedding it was. when God puts the pieces back together. And they can be glad once again. They can be glad once again. Verse 4. Now, see, when this happens, when I'm telling you this story like this about brokenness, most people think, okay, well, (laughs) yeah, God can use them, whatever. But And you don't pay that much attention to it till it's your child. Then it matters to you that God is not using your son or daughter. Or that they don't think they can ever be used again. And they are down in the dumps. And you're praying for God to send someone. That will minister to them. And talk some sense in their minds. That God is not a God like people. I told you about the Kintsugi. Remember the Kintsugi story? I'm going to preach on it one of these days. But... The kintsugi is like a broken piece of pottery. It's a Japanese, you go, it's a Japanese art form where people repair broken pieces of pottery with gold. So anyways, I'm not going to preach on it, but let me just give you just one, one of the significances. is that when, you are, when you're living is to make broken pottery and repair it with gold, because that's how you make your living. You're looking for broken pieces of pottery. The church is not looking for broken pieces of pottery. The church throws those away. The church throws broken people away instead of bringing them to the master craftsman so that he can repair them with gold so that they, they become more beautiful than they ever were. So they can be. Uh, More valuable than they ever were. Their ministry will now blossom in a greater way than it was before. It is not because of them. It is because of the master craftsman. So now their scars, I call them precious scars, are not hidden any any longer. Like we try to do in the church. I got some scars. but Nobody better know about it. No. In the Kintsugi, they are magnified. But it is not magnified because of the person who was scarred. It is magnified because of the person who repaired it with gold. So they don't see the person who was scarred any longer. They see now the one, the master craftsman, who repaired it when they look at that person. And so, they are glad. They are glad. The next, uh, we had the, bring back our captivity, O oh Lord, as the streams in the south, or the Negav would be another translation. The streams in the south, when the rain starts flowing again, and the streams are flowing with water, and watering the area so that things grow and things are fruitful and things flourish. Ah, that's the way it's going to be again. That is the way the things are going to be in my life again. Fresh water to grow stuff. Verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. No more staying in tears. It's all about joy. Verse 6. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. Those who thought that God couldn't use them again, they were weeping, but they came out with rejoicing as they bring their sheaves with them, the fruit of the work that God has involved them again. Oh, wow. I was visiting with a brother and he told me about this psalm and I thought I have to mention it today. When I read it, I I just want to jump out of my chair. Wow, what a glorious, glorious, glorious psalm that is. Okay. Uh, Then I'm going to keep it short here. Um, The next thing I want to talk about, there were two things, but I'm going to try to discern Lord, what you have in mind. If. Um, let's go with. with, with we'll go with, with the anger thing. And then next time we'll go with quiet time or something like that. Sounds um, <laughs> like you need quiet time. I'm good. I'm good. Anger. Uh, The scriptures allow some angers and not others. The scriptures allow angers. There are the angers that God gets angry with. When it's about abortions, God is angry with it. And I know there's plenty of people that in a very innocent way are involved in these things and they just didn't know. Uh, and, and God God bless them and God uh, forgive them. And then you have the, the industry and that is evil stuff. So, God is angry at those. And I'm angry at those. And God says, it's okay to be angry with those. But if a brother offends me and I'm angry with him, The scriptures totally forbid that. There's no reason for me to be angry with him just because he offends me. It's about grace in the Christian life. So, in other words, what Jesus is saying, that listen, I have forgiven you so much, yes? And I'm asking you to forgive him so little and can't do it, you're going to have some pain. I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. Read Matthew, the 18th chapter. It's right there, the last portion of it. I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors because I have forgiven you so much that you could never, in no way, pay back. And yet, I am asking you to forgive someone so much, so little. He can do it. So, it's that kind of anger is not permitted. We, we cannot get angry like that. And so, now... It might very well be that you your leaning in the natural is that way. Yes? In the natural, we all have a leaning. In the first birth, we all have a leaning that we cannot do much about. But in the second birth, when we're born again, all that changes. Now, instead of Our lower nature, our first tendency, our old nature, our sinful nature, the flesh, if you will, it dominated us. Romans 5, 20 and 21, if you want to go check it out. I advise you that you go check it out. Okay, but could, could you maybe see if you can find it? Romans 5. 21, say. So it will come up after a little while. Uh, I hadn't planned on going there. Uh, 521, it tells us that our sinful nature reigned over us as a monarch reigns over people. And we couldn't fight it in any way. That was the first birth. But in the second birth, Everything changes so that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have dominance over our sinful nature instead of it having dominance over us. Um, so we might, have, we might have a leaning toward anger, but in the second birth, we have no excuse. In the second birth, we have the power to overcome it. Yes? Yes? Okay. So, in the first birth, you might have a leaning towards stealing. People say, I was born that way. Yes, you were born that way. We think you cannot be born You were born that way. That's your first birth. With your sinful nature dominating you. But in the second birth, it changes. It flips over. You're dominating your sinful nature; it has no more uh, grip over you or dominance over you. Maybe we look at a couple of verses. So that as sin reigned, the word "reign" over him means rule, rule. Sin over there is not your sin, your individual sins that you commit, but the sin over there has to do with your sinful nature. Your sinful nature reigned as a king. Into is probably a better way of saying it than in that. Into that It's also in death, but if you were not there yet, it's taking you there. Okay? So uh, death of, of whatever kind. Even so, now grace came in. Grace might reign through righteousness, to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So whereas your lower nature was reigning over you at first and you had no wherewithal against it, now, through grace, and and you were experiencing some sort of a death, and if you were not experiencing it yet, it was taking you to that place? Not necessarily physical death, though that is also included, but it might be all kinds of death. The death of your testimony, the death of your uh, reputation, the death of your family, the death of your whatever. So, but he says now, through grace, what reigns over you is grace, And it leads to righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is where grace leads you. I was going to say, when you read the word grace, you have to know that there are two systems in the New Testament. The system of law and Sin and defeat and these type of things and, uh, and death. And then you have the other system that has to do with grace and Jesus Christ and not, uh, not getting tit for TED, but you get grace. It is uh, a system where you are doing you're dealing with righteousness, you're dealing with victory. These type of words, if you read them, that's in this system. When you read words like law and work and defeat, it's in the other system. So you have to, read, you have to know what system you're reading in. So, uh, but in the new system, then you have uh, righteousness through Jesus Christ. Well, let's go to chapter 6 real quick to look at a couple of verses. Then we go back to this anger thing. So I just want to explain it to you just a little bit. Can you do six, one and two, maybe three and four, something like that uh, quickly? Romans? Romans? No problem. If, if not, you can look it up in your Bible or whatever. Then, uh, the question is, is, is asked in chapter six. Well, since grace is doing such a good job, Should I not then remain in my sin to prove that grace will overcome my sin? Paul says, God forbid, what kind of logic is that? I have a medication that can heal me from malaria, right? Then I go get malaria so I can prove that my medication will heal it. So, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live no longer in it? So, died to sin, remember, sin in this whole scenario has to do with your sinful nature, not your individual sins. You should read and study chapter 6 because it it will revolutionize your life. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So, you died to sin. This is the, this is the, this is the scenario. Sin, you, you, you used to be the slave to sin. Yes? There is a couple of ways that you can get out of slavery. One of them is that you die. With Christ, you died to sin. So you don't belong to sin any longer. Now you belong to a new king, a new owner. His name is Jesus Christ. So, we died to to your sinful nature. That is to say, your sinful nature who was king over you is no longer king over you. Are you with me? Now, Jesus is king over you. Since you died to that rulership of your sinful nature, why would you be under your sinful nature any longer? The sinful nature that constricts you. Like a boa constrictor, squeezes life out of you. Why would you be under your sin once again? Why don't you just stay under King Jesus? That's what it's saying over there. And by staying under King Jesus, you have the power to be victorious. Whereas if you stay under your sin, it's, it's guaranteed death or defeat or whatever word you want to use. So, coming back to the anger, and I'm going to sort of close here. Coming back to the anger, initially before you were born again, anger had your number. I know it, because anger had my number. People that know me now, they can't imagine the temper that I used to have. But it was a bad temper. I don't know if there's a good temper anywhere, but <laughs> mine was a bad temper. But in Christ, uh, He took it all away. Amen. Two days ago, I had a conversation with my. Granddaughter, I was working on the computer just a little bit, and she was playing in the living room with her sister, with the Legos, and they built something. I was watching them a little bit, and and you know they built something quite big like this. All of a sudden, I heard it was not just pam pam pam. It was she had a fit. I mean, she broke it and broke it and broke it and broke it again. (laughs) So, what do you do as Opa? I have a talk with her. I want to teach my granddaughter. I don't want to just give her a whipping or whatever. Not not that I'm in a place to give her a whipping. But I want to talk to her. I say, Sophia, come talk to Opa. I say, honey, uh, We need to pray. It was the 21st of the month. We need to pray that God will uh, deliver you from your anger. Because anger is not any good. There's nothing good that comes out of anger. Nothing good of this kind of anger. The other kind of anger that God is angry about, yes, we do something uh, to make things better. But this kind of anger not. And I say we're going to pray together for 10 days. 21st to the 31st of March. Every day we're going to pray that God will deliver you from this temple. I say, because your temple will trap you. And I just start to make a little applicable or not applicable, but once you could understand uh, example, and I say, let us say, Sophia, you are now a grown-up and you're working at a place. And you are the boss of this other lady. But this other lady wants your job. And she knows you have a temper. And she will be able to trap you just like that. I say that's just a practical example. Uh, but that's not the main reason. The main reason is it, it, it is disappointing to God to throw a temper like that. but yeah. And he will deliver you. I know for sure, because he's delivered me too. I remember playing on the tennis team at McFarlane Tennis Center in San Antonio. And the team was speaking together in a grassy area outside of the gate. And I was upset. And they said something, somebody said something, and I just started walking to the gate and Mr. Mapes, my coach says, if you go through that gate, you lose your scholarship. Don't go through that gate. When you're angry, that kind of anger, <laughs> See, says, so it's a double whammy. You don't even care. You got to hurt somebody. Well, I don't care. That's what anger does. So I'm marching to the gate. He ran me down... <laughs> because he knew that if I would go through the gate, he has no choice. He stopped me. He says, oh Kenny, you have such a gift to be a leader, and yet your temper is going to mess you up. I'll never forget those words. And I want to speak those kind of words also to my granddaughter, that she would remember those words. And then, Okay, we we just uh, a day later, they are leaving to go back home, and I said uh, goodbye to her. I say, remember, Sophia, remember about the temple. We're gonna pray about it. She says, you know what, Opa, the example that you gave me has already come true. I was playing with uh, Shiloh, her sister, and Shiloh didn't mean to do this, but she trapped me. I gave in to my anger and. She got me. She she understood the example of being trapped, just like that. She is how old is Sophia? Yes. Ten years old. Eight years old. Eight years old. Is Eva here? Eva is eight years old. <laughs> so, eight-year-old can understand it. So, my brothers and sisters, this is where I'm going. And uh, there's much to say about this anger thing, but. My, if you have anger issues, you need to go to God and ask him to deliver you from it. And if you need a prayer partner, call on a brother or a sister. If you're a man, call on a brother. If you're a sister, call on a sister. Um, and have a prayer partner that will check up on you every once in a while. And that will pray with you often so you can get rid of the anger. Anger leads to nothing good. Nothing good. The Lord bless you. I, my voice was pretty good. I mean, I, the other night I couldn't even talk, but so uh, I survived. Let us stand and pray.